0: Welcome to the She Illuminates the World podcast. This is your host, Jocelyn Resnick. This podcast is for mission-driven women and rising leaders who are ready to shine their light and play big in the world. All right. I'm here with Erin Anderson, and today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, which is toxic work environments how to spot them, how to get out of them, and today's expert is Erin Anderson, and I'm just going to have Erin start us off by sharing a little bit about what she does, how she got to where she is, so jump right in. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. So um, on the topic of toxic toxic work culture that is appearing daily, whether in the news in breakfast conversations, like I was telling you about this morning, and in, um, in media outlets, in a social media post. I, I don't think, I just yesterday, I reshared three different things of, um, with relevance to Mental Health Awareness Month of what's going on in toxic work culture. So things that I'm not even creating that other channels are aware of because of the prevalence and the, um, Really, the transition to a remote environment and how it has actually increased and manifested in a different way than it previously was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I compare this remote work culture to cyberbullying employees, right? We went through a period, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, where cyberbullying in schools was an issue. And as a result, we've moved to a remote work environment, and the parents of those kids are doing it to their employees. So learned behavior, <laughs> yeah. um, but it, we're really entering an era of cyberbullying our coworkers. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I did not have to deal with because I left corporate right before COVID and um, experienced verbal and sexual harassment myself. So interesting to see how, especially from a sexual harassment perspective, how um, coworkers are still finding a way to do it without touching their employees. That's always interesting. Um, And from a verbal harassment, it's more, um, how can we manipulate and control our employees through every contact device? Through a phone, through email, through Slack, through Microsoft Teams, because it never ends. We're always connected to some device in some which way. And so there's always the ability for them to, you know, contact and harass that person,
0: unfortunately. Absolutely. So what is your role now?
1: Hmm. So I'm a career transition coach and LinkedIn strategist, and I focus on helping people navigate toxic work cultures. So that looks like um, really giving people the confidence. I think more than anything, typically these people are not unemployed or laid off. Um, They are in a toxic work culture approaching a time of, um, I like to call it like, kind of a time where they're starting to rethink things, but they're often trapped by things like golden handcuffs or or other things that are making them rethink, should I leave? Maybe they're having a baby. Maybe they're starting to plan a family. Maybe there's a recession looming if people are worried about that and thinking, well, this job is secure. So I'm gonna, st-. and I have a, a potential client like this right now where um, she's like, I stayed in this job because I made it through the last recession. So why would I not stay now? And it's the number one question I asked her is, if a recession is a year out and it takes two years to recover, she's in an industry that's not recession proof. And you've now had to stay in that position for another two years. So a total of three from the time that we're talking, how would you feel? And she said awful. Yeah. <laughs> so getting them out now is a really good time. Um, but and I think also encouraging people, it's never a bad time. I mean, I had people that had secure jobs during the beginning of the pandemic that Other people may have thought they were crazy to leave. And a lot of people transition because they actually had the time to think and be out of that culture, surrounded by people with bad energy about what was actually going on and and how could they change that?
0: Absolutely. So one thing that you said that just reminded me is when you're in a toxic work environment, sometimes you don't realize that it's toxic because it becomes like the normal behavior. Uh So like, I'll share my experience. I was in a a job that had a lot of emotional manipulation. So long story short, I was being lied to and gaslit and manipulated. And really, it was psychological abuse, Um, but there was no physical abuse and nobody was screaming at me and, So there was a lot of talk of like, Oh, it's not that bad. Like it could be so much worse. And I know like me and my coworkers, we were burnt out and exhausted all the time, but there was always this language of, it's not that bad. Like, it's not that bad. We can stick it out. You know, I really should stay for at least like a year and a half, two years because of the resume, because God forbid, there's a fucking gap in the resume, um, (laughs) And it was like this constant like, oh yeah, like it's not that bad, like it's fine, like whatever. And it took me a really long time to actually be like, wait a second, like, no, like I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. And for me, it was also like, I have this privilege that I could leave. And then I had a lot of privilege guilt and it, it took a lot of therapy before I said, I'm done and I'm out of here.
1: Mm-hmm. I think our culture has leaned into, um, what we kind of always turn to in times of tragedy, which is somebody always has it worse. Yep. And so we should be, and I think that does apply in situations like this morning, I had a family member talking about a situation and I was like, well, you know, there's people that are burying their children this morning, unfortunately. And so we need right. to, in times that saying does make sense for sure. Listen to the New York City horns. Someone's mad. <laughs> um, think about like mm-hmm, um, how you know when it comes to somebody always has it worst. Well, you had it worse than someone else that was saying that in the beginning. Right? Yeah. So it's really a cycle of well, okay, what what do we say? Then that comes to like death at a certain point, and we shouldn't be dying from our jobs. Right. So I think the biggest thing is. Um, awareness is that there's up until now, and there are some companies trying to enforce it. Um, I shared something on my story yesterday that was like when it was a TikTok of when people are talking about um, how the company is talking about how great their own work culture is. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's pretty counterintuitive. Why don't you interview employ- your employees?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like
1: it's very like it's just so conceited from an organizational perspective. Instead of taking a survey on what can we do to improve, talking about their own culture that just doesn't even make sense. Um, so I think we've I think we're at a time where secu- everybody holds on to security number one, right? And number two. Yeah, I think the same thing, like the manipulation and gaslighting that both of us went through made us get to the point of starting to believe those things that, yes, I need to hold down the job. Yes, it's not as bad. Um, Like I was sexually harassed and near rape, but did not get raped. And so I would say, oh, well, the employee who who was raped, like I didn't have that. Well, like it should never get to that point. So I think um, it's really coming down to Do you have the support of family, friends, colleagues to bring awareness when you're being manipulated or check in with to say, here's a situation that happened at work. How do you view this? And maybe not always taking their, you know, their opinion always into consideration. But I know I I was having this conversation earlier. I blocked things. So like I have flashbacks now to things that happened to me in corporate that I didn't even see at the time because I was so concentrated on, the salary was really good. I had a great salary for my age. And so, and I had the things I wanted and I traveled and my friends did not So it's a comparison game. And so Erin, why would you leave? And I think people also forget two things. A, you can always take a leave of absence. That's something people forget. And B, it doesn't always have to be a transition into the next job while you're still in that job. If you need to take a break, yeah. And you need to do things. I nannied, I organized, I did a lot of things. I freelanced before my business in between jobs to not just settle and put yourself back in the same spot.
0: Absolutely. And actually that was something that I definitely wanted to talk about is when you left during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so I should have started with this, but Erin and I met and like, it was. it's a good story. Um, We were both on Ladies Get Paid, which is an online platform for women who are looking to get paid and looking for networking tools and skills. And Erin had a post and she was talking about how she grew up in New York in Westchester and was working in Atlanta, had two super toxic work environments and left her job in Atlanta and moved back to New York to start her own business. And I read this post and I was like, well, this sounds really, really familiar because anybody who knows my story is it's exactly the same. I grew up in Westchester, I moved to Atlanta, I had a super toxic work environment, I quit and I started my own business. And so we both connected, we joined the same co-working space, and now we're here sharing this with all of you. But Erin did such a good job of making money after she left the job to support herself. And I would love for you to talk more about that process because honestly, I feel like you did it better than anybody else that I know.
1: Okay, so I I was talking about this earlier as well. Um, I think that this journey has taught me a lot about hustle culture and how not to embrace it. I think there's, I think once you get to a certain point that you can, um, that you can hustle or work less. I think a lot of work goes into it in the beginning. I mean, I was always from a young age, even though I didn't have to, I got a job at 14. I had three jobs in the summer in college not because I had to, but I saw the potential. And my, I remember something my mom always said growing up was that unlike a lot of her friends in college, she always did something so that she didn't have to say no to experiences. And that has stuck with me since this day. And that's something I still say, because like, I never had to say no to the spring break trip or a dinner in college or going out one night or doing things that other people could, because I knew there was a way to still get what I wanted. That's what I always realized. And so I was always a big saver, which helped. But I think when a, you know, one of the biggest things, going back to what I said previously, was this golden handcuff theory. When I got out of business school, there was probably like 5% of us that went into finance. And because the industry, we had the highest salaries leaving the program. And one of the things that I think really kicked off my career and put it into high gear in terms of, and even now in entrepreneurship, is Everybody except one career coach who I loved to this day, Sharon Vogler at Wake Forest, she always told me to negotiate and other people told me not to. They said, this is your first job out of school. Granted, knowing the demand that this career would bring <laughs> um, the stress and the, you it's not just always the monetary, right? It's the stress that comes with it. It's the hour. It's, it's, it's your experience. It's, it it was like when you charge a price, it's not hourly. It's what you're bringing to the table. And I know you say that a lot. So I was very comfortable, quite honestly, like I got the new apartment in Atlanta and I could go on the trips and I could do things. And I always thought, how can I, make this happen in another job so I wasn't that i always had to get the higher paying job but i always did something on the side so like i was freelancing doing what i'm doing now before i switched and luckily enough because i was in the pandemic and employment was really high when i went on unemployment back in january Mm, that's right um you know all of i didn't have to dip into savings all of my costs were covered it was nowhere near my salary But I didn't have to stress about, you know, dipping into savings and things along those lines. And then granted, we were also saving money in the pandemic because we weren't going out to eat and doing all these activities, which we talked about is not a positive as some people view it. But, um, you know, I also have a finance background. So I'm in my numbers every day, but I worked really hard. Um, But I, I always found a way to say yes when people ask for things reasonably. So when a business, when I was, I'm a big networker, when I started networking, I started to look at it from like a holistic perspective and think, okay, well, I really like networking and this is something I'm going to continue to do, but I'm networking with businesses. How do I turn my business that's just career coaching into something business related? Because this is just not going to cut it. I'm in an ideal market for something else. How can I cater to these people in a virtual world where you know, my business did well at the point because nobody had a job, but how can I serve business owners?
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then thinking of like, okay, well, I can do trainings. I can get trained in different areas. And so when someone would approach me and ask, do you do this? I rarely said no, unless I actually wasn't passionate about it. Instead, I would find a way how to do it, how to monetize it and how to get trained in it. So like, for instance, I've had companies organizations, corporations approached me recently about different things. And like, I'm on the call and they're like, do you do this? And I'm like, yeah, I do that because I know I have the knowledge to do it. And so, yeah, like I can do it because it's, it's opening up a new opportunity. If it was something I didn't want to do, I'd be like, no, but I never said no. I said, I would evaluate it. I would review it. I'll come up with a quote and a proposal, but that's what really took my business from zero to hundred was trying those things and all those things I said yes to I still don't do to this day right but I figured out a way to do it and not even for the money but more for an you know like an experience to decide do I like doing this because I had no idea what I was doing I have no entrepreneurs in my family none of us everybody was like what the hell are you doing Erin um Never realizing, I mean, even at the time it was, it was, it was a resume filler and it was a time I'm type a, I hate sitting around. Other people would have been like, yay, free money unemployment." I was cringing. I was like, I hate this. So, you know, finding a way to occupy my time and make money was huge. And then once I, once I saw the numbers and beating my corporate salary, that was demanding. It was um, a no brainer. And it, it just shows you that like, I don't know. For me, the biggest thing is no income cap. And I was talking about this earlier too, is that there's different careers like teaching and nursing that I've always said since a young age, I could never do because there is no incentive to be the better person or better employee. I know I always needed to be in something that's bonus related. If I was in corporate that I was rewarded. And this is like a very big theme in my entire life but I liked like my love language. One of it is like recognition. Like I like people acknowledging what I'm doing and communicating that. And in my own business, you know, the, I don't want to say the harder I work, the more that I spend time thinking how to better it, the more money that comes in.
0: Right. Well, and it's about the inspired action Yes. and the energetics, which I know that you're working on now and moving from the hustle into like, when you do work from a place of passion and excitement, you have better quality work, which creates more money and more flow. And this is something I talk about all the time. When you're burnt out and exhausted and depleted, you're not really helping anyone. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, you know,
1: actually potentially hurting people because you're, you're, you're
0: not doing out of intentionality. Well, and it's also when you're in that burnt out, exhausted state, and, and this is what was happening to me. And I'll be so honest, like I was burnt out and I was exhausted and every single one of my conversations was about how much I hated my job. And I was complaining and I, and I remember thinking like, this is not me, this is not who I am. I don't like this version of me. And I knew I had to do something different. And um, it actually didn't really take me that long to decide to leave. Um, in retrospect, I like lasted for a year and a half at my mm-hmm. old position, and uh, yes, I was in therapy, and yes, I did have privilege, and I, I had a lot of privilege guilt at the beginning that I had to do a lot of inner work on understanding that you should feel gratitude if you can leave, and and everybody can. This is the other thing; it's not like only some people can leave their jobs. And oh, I got so mad. We were at this talk a week or two ago and somebody on the panel was like, not everybody can do that. And it bothered me so much. Everybody can have a life that they love. Everybody can have a job that they love. Everybody can feel fulfilled. It's some, for some people it's easier than others because they have more resource um, and they have more opportunities, but it is absolutely a possibility for everyone. And, I think it's about like really tuning into what you want and surrendering to like, there has to be something better and and being open to other solutions and other possibilities and getting creative. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's really what you have to do is just find creative ways. And for me, it was, I left my job. I moved back to New York. I moved home so I didn't have to pay rent and I needed to stop everything and just sit down and breathe and figure out what to do next. And very, very quickly. Coaching came to me and I knew I needed to start the business.
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the most common questions I get, and I got it yesterday during, as you know, when you do a consultation, everyone has 5 million objections. (laughs) Um, And what's really interesting though is that they already went and booked the consult. So they should have somewhat addressed those objections before hopping on the call or like, I always think it's really interesting how people fill out an application to have a consultation with me. And the questions are fairly provoking to the point that that doesn't help them address it. And then I get on the call, there's every objection from, you know, we're having kids to my, the most cringeworthy one, which is I have to check with my partner. Um, because your partner is not doing the work, your partner's not on the call, your partner doesn't have your job and your partner is not in your mind. So forget the partner. You need to make it about you. It is only about you. Um, I can understand discussing payment plans with a partner. I think that's fair. Um, but you need to think for yourself. And uh, again, this common question I get a lot or this objection is Is this actually possible? It is always usually the last question on a consult where they will say, I want you to be brutally honest, which I am, which I, I'm always surprised they haven't picked up through like the 30 minutes of the consultation <laughs> and they'll say, um, you know, can I do this? And I say, absolutely. Anybody can do it. And I think it really comes down to, are you willing to do the work? Right. Are you yeah. willing? It's possible for people willing to put the effort forward. I don't apply to the jobs for my applicant. I get you ready to be the best candidate are you going to be disciplined and hold yourself accountable with the right resources now and the confidence nice. to move forward and make the change? That's the biggest thing. I mean, you could pay for a service all day and just get everything updated and not make the move. I mean, I have people who do that too, and that's fine. But of course it's, I mean, my answer is usually, of course, like it's not, it's a no brainer, right? It's right. like, of course. yeah, I mean, Well, go look on LinkedIn in two seconds and see the number of jobs per organization being posted right now. I mean, it's unheard of. And, um, you know, it's it's making a leap now. Um, One of the questions on my consultation form is, are you ready for this now? Not in four months, not in a year. That's fine to keep things prepared. I would like to say that. Like if you you know, no one knew a pandemic was coming. Now we have monkeypox. Like, we don't know what the hell is going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> um, I would recommend keeping yourself prepared. And, you know, I have people that come to me and say, can we just keep this resume updated? Of course, that's, that's fine. But if you're feeling stuck, literally in quicksand, and you're struggling, and you are dreading, not just Monday because it's Monday, but your entire week and you leave drained, burnt out and feeling like you don't want to do anything else, then like the time is now. And it's not according to when your partner says we have to wait a year because of the mortgage. <laughs> like It's just not.
0: No. So I think yeah. That's, that's a big thing. I think like, what are you putting off? Like, what are you afraid to look at? Like, how would it feel for you to stay where you're at in mm-hmm. six months from now? I think those are questions that you have to ask and you have to sit with it. And it comes up in my family all the time. I hear so-and-so will never change. And I have to correct people all the time is so-and-so chooses not to change. Correct. We all have the capability to change. It's really about wanting to do the work and people don't want to do the work. They don't want to look at their shit. And that has a price. It has a price to stay where you're at. And it's unfortunate but we have to hit rock bottom before we actually create change and and actually I think this is a really good segue into COVID and the pandemic and the great resignation of like COVID really threw everyone a curveball and it's kind of alarming and also like I'm not surprised at all to see what happened yeah I think um
1: I think yeah I mean preparation is huge but I in terms of doing the work ahead of time when you want to make the transition, I think that's big. But I mean, I can say for myself, right? Jocelyn has seen like my beginning stages of doing the work until now. And like I've had my two as highest months in business. Like I'm almost everybody that I meet or people, oh, we were talking about this last night, people that have been in my life for a while are recognizing that I've done it without me even telling them. And mm-hmm kind of seen that and I think it also I think clients are just moving forward more because they see a I think people always connect better with someone that has gone through it themselves right so when you work with clients same thing you have gone through what they potentially have been going through or something similar or at least comparable and same thing here right if if I'm going to a career I, I do career transition but if I'm just going to a regular career coach and like you know and, and I'm in a toxic work culture right now that's probably not a good fit. Like I want someone that's been through it that knows what's coming, that knows how to deal with it not just from a paperwork standpoint, but from mentally everything. And so um, the work it's helped everything. <laughs> um, you know I think I think you need to work on yourself before you can just work on everything else. Um, yeah. because I <laughs> you think always. You, I think you land. Yeah. Not think. Right. I know. I know that um, going, I can tell you from experience, just job hopping to get somewhere else has only ever hurt me because I didn't do the work or I just know I needed an outlet. And so I, I went into something else and it was only worse. Like one of the biggest things I always tell people as we get back to um, in-person interviewing is always throw, I, I guess, cause I do interview coaching, but I like to make it a game and intimidate the interviewer. Yes. And so I like to throw them off completely because they're so a lot of people that actually interview candidates are not good at it themselves. And I can tell you that because they're my clients and And it's not that they're not good at it. They're not experts at it. We view them as intimidating because we think that they're the best. I have more HR people come to me than anybody else, especially during the pandemic. 30% of my clientele was recruiters, to give you an idea. Um, And it is not their fault, but they are not God. They are not the only are An interviewer is the same person as me or you. They have a list of prepared questions that they probably didn't even come up with. So when you're in there, I like to prepare my candidates to ask them questions that are not the ordinary, not something you're just gonna find on a Google search of the most asked questions, but ask them you know, something very related to their specific experience. Um, an interviewer is not usually thinking that you're gonna ask them about their experience. They think you're gonna ask them about the company. So they always love that question. And then the other thing is um, asking for a tour of the office. You don't expect it likely if you think back to the times that you've been interviewed um you probably will remember that you're always led to a spot that's like kind of in the front but away from employees typically like it was always like the at least in corporate it was always the like the front conference room because you didn't have to pass the office or like this little side office area and so you know, ask for a tour of the office and they're usually like, oh, uh, the, the first thing that I've, that I've experienced and candidates tell me is they respond with, oh, you want a tour of the office? And you're like, well, oh, it's just the question that I have asked. And they're so thrown off because they cannot prepare the office for you going around and seeing them because they took you to a side conference room. <laughs> that yeah. is amazing. But it gives you a really clear idea because they couldn't, They couldn't tell, hey, all the diverse employees come into work today, don't work remotely. That's horrible, right? That's not what we want. But that is what an organization would sadly do if they knew that you were going to ask about a tour of the office. Like, it's horrible. But, you know, and another thing is, like, do people look happy? Do people look like they're engaged? Are people communicating? Does it look team friendly? How is the office set up? I mean, more than any other question, that will pretty much tell you everything about a company. And the last thing with that, and I know we're kind of like segwaying and interviewing here, to the interesting, but
0: no, um, no, this is great. This is really good information.
1: <laughs> when you're, uh, when you're, you know, you're interviewing is to remember that you're, if you got to that spot, you're interviewing the company. Yeah. They already know yes. that yes. you. they don't actually know if you like them yet because it's really, right. usually what your, your second or last interview is the one in the office So like you've interviewed up to this point, based on your experience, they already know they like you. They would not have invited you to the office. Now you've made the step, now you're in the office and now it is your choice to figure out if you like them and being so prepared. I always say with at least four questions of what are you asking them? Asking that person specifically about them, about the organization, about the future, about things that are relevant right now Um, because you should view an interview as not something that you're going to be judged or intimidated by, but it should be an opportunity for you to decipher whether you like that company, especially in a hot hiring market or even a not hiring I mean, I've had this happen to me in not a great market where I was so worried about after a toxic work culture, oh my God, I'm not getting an offer anywhere else. Or I had two offers unexpectedly come in at the same time for like the same $15,000 salary increase, the same benefits. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I, I don't know which one to choose. And it wasn't because of anything else other than what if it's toxic? And unfortunately I chose the wrong one because I think the other, the other country, the other company, maybe country (laughs) would have been like 5,000 times better. And that's okay. It's a learning experience, but you need to ask organizational questions because when you have you know, people say it all the time, the offers won't come in the same it's a competitive job market and they're absolutely going to come in probably within $5,000 of each other. And the company that offers a lower salary is going to offer things like a life coach as development and that offer, that's right. valued higher. And so you need to go into it so prepared. Make sure that you're interviewing them and view yourself as intimidating. I love to be intimidating. but I think like, you know, I, I just view it as a challenge. Like I, I'm such a different, I don't know. I really don't get intimidated and I'm not ner- a nervous person. Um, I have anxiety, but we all do. So I like to go in there like sometimes I kind of want to just like do it for the hell of it. <laughs> just take a day and just interview somewhere <laughs> to challenge and like learn things myself. I think I'm gonna start doing it. But yeah. I like to just like go into the company and be super confident, not as an act, and think like I'm gonna stump this person today. And people would You're be like on a mess. From a manager perspective is like, oh, that's horrible. And I don't mean with technicals. Who the hell cares about technicals? I'm out of that world now. But just like, what is going to be the question that makes them pause for a minute and maybe even reflect where it is that they work? Yeah. The company.
0: Yeah. I do have to say that your intimidating nature has absolutely rubbed off on me and I put up with far less bullshit now. (laughs) <laughs> and it's great. And when you go into an interview, and you have that attitude of what are you doing for me, and I know I'm amazing. And I know that you need me more than I need you, they're going to pay you more. And, and if the interview goes well, the, you're going to know that the job is going to be good, because they're respecting you. And they're respecting your needs. And if if they don't, cause we all, we do this, we go and we're like, oh man, I need this job so badly. And like, it's okay. I just like, won't ask for more because I need them. And then it's toxic.
1: Versus- the thing is that you set the precedent in the interview. Yes, Your career is going to go at that organization. It's not right. day one on the job. It's, you don't know if you're going at the offer. It's how you're acting in that interview because that impacts your salary. It impacts your right. business. It impacts your benefits. And they're not, you no know one, if you think back, like we're all like, the outfit we're going to have on the first day of things or um i i never had anybody come observe my outfit or sit with me on the first day i was kind of thrown to the wolves and frankly spent most of the day by myself until i would then this makes me cringe have to ask my boss if i could leave and then i walked out the door right nobody was observing me on my first day people are observing your body language your behavior the things that you're saying and at most your confidence. I mean, if you don't go in there and act like, you know, you're the best thing there ever was in that office, which you probably are, <laughs> then um, they're going to, they're going to read that real quick. But if you go in there with confidence, you're going to act like you have 10 offers on the table and you're interviewing them to decide if you want to move forward. Yeah. And that's why if someone's in here or in here, no one else is in this Zoom call, <laughs> 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 hopefully, <laughs> then like a listener would say, um. You know, if you if you're a listener and you have a corporate job and a side gig, or you're an entrepreneur and you work with corporations, the best way I can describe this is when you're working with a company and you're getting on a consult. Right? You're very confident because if you weren't, I mean, I've had those before. I don't move forward with those people that like they're if they're sitting there and they seem nervous, like ooh, that's not who I want doing the work for me. Right. So, um you need to go into, I would, I would reshape your mind or reform your thoughts to think that an interview is like a consult. You're going in there and instead of selling a service or a product, you're selling yourself.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And it it really is all about taking people off of pedestals. And I think when you like strip the Instagram following and the fancy titles and like where they went to school, you're like, this person is lame. And Yeah, We do that all the time now. We're just like, I'm not impressed. Like I am consistently unimpressed by people. And and Erin and I both decided that entrepreneurs are way more impressive than people in corporate. And I don't know who's listening to this, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: I mean, listen, we've all been in corporate. We all think we have the most important job and we've done this and this. I will tell you that there is nobody else that will ever experience. And it's not a blaming factor, right? Because people will not know until they've done it. I used to look at entrepreneurs and not realize it either. Either, Can I speak? Um, But looking at it, like there, there is such a learning journey and getting your hands in all aspects of the business, right? We're either we're healthcare, we're HR, we're marketing, we're finance. And Unless you're in a strategy role. And even then you're not doing all the department work. You're working with those people. You will never be diving in the same way. You will never, I mean, um, I always say, I have a lot of entrepreneurs come with me that have owned their business for like 15 or 20 years. And they're like, they want to transition to corporate, which fine, some people. That's, that's fine for, yeah. That's fine. Everyone's different. And um, I would tell an organization over and over again that you're never going to find a better applicant. Somebody that has built themselves up, that has run something from all sides of the business that understands how a company works, you're never going to find another employee that's going to persevere the same way. Um, yeah. I organize on the side and one of the companies that I do it for said to me uh, while I was interviewing, um, she said, one of the things that I respect most about you is that you're a fellow business owner you know how to treat clients, you know how to treat people, and you know the way a business is run. I'm not going to disrespect her business because I've been there, right? And every right. company you're applying to is a business. So yeah, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, I think what it is more than anything, it's how you're being and how you're showing up. And it's it's not really about the numbers or the titles or the accolades. Um but I think with being an entrepreneur, you just learn so much of about energy and like how to make people feel and, um, and you're, you have become very resilient. And, and I know like when I choose mentors and when I choose coaches, I always look for people that embody resilience and strength and who respect me. Maybe if I'm like a couple of years behind them, but they, they treat me as an expert and they trust my opinion. and that, that is what converts. Like, that's what feels good. That's what creates that energy of attraction of people wanting to work for you, um, of being respected for your work. And I mean, we've all been conditioned to uh, put people on pedestals based on accolades and whatnot. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned in my journey is to take them off the pedestal. And it's uh, just relating to interviewers is, Just because somebody is interviewing you or they're the CEO, it doesn't mean that they know more than you. And, and we're constantly learning this lesson over and over and over and over again of like, they don't know more than me. And like, why am I looking for this at this person for advice and this person to help me? They have no idea what I actually do. And it's, I just, you know, your brain tricks you into thinking because they have a fancy title that they must somehow know more. And, you know, because I just am starting out as an entrepreneur that therefore I need to look to this person for advice. And I think it comes down to really, really trusting yourself and um, who do you feel drawn to? And the people that you feel drawn to are there for a reason.
1: I think one of the biggest things that you're saying too is that not everybody is your role model and not everybody is your mentor. So there's a lot of books out there. And actually we were at a happy hour recently, which I'll get to in a moment. But um there is a book available. And I took the book and somebody (laughs) asked me the next day what I went to and what I did. And they said, Are you gonna are you gonna actually read the book? Probably not.
0: No, definitely not.
1: a happy hour definitely not because bad vibes um, but i did want to just touch on um i'm really moving away from like you know there is a size of following relevancy when it comes to like visibility right getting yourself right. oh path. yeah sure but you need to look at it in terms of that versus oh they have so many followers Therefore, they must be X. And I think the the happy hour we went to the other day is a really good example. And of course, we were front row because we always are. (laughs) Um, That's something I would tell you, too. At any event, at any class, I don't know, I even say in a fitness class, like go fill up the front row. Don't go to the back. Don't go to the corner. Like get seen. Um, There's just more opportunity up there. Go do it. Um, But at the happy hour, when we're sitting there and listening to responses, I just have a really strong belief slash issue slash it pisses me off when people speak about topics that they have not gone through, which is why there's a lot of criticisms about the coaching industry. Most people that are a coach are a coach because they have gone through what they are practicing. And I'm not talking about the business owner who says, I'll help you scale to 10K months because I've done it once. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the coaches, which is a lot of them that are speaking on trauma, eating disorders, career transitioning, toxic work culture, because they have been there. And that is the person that you want in your corner. And so when we're at this happy hour and I'm hearing people talk about, you know, interviewing and culture and all these things, and like they've barely been through it themselves. I Jocelyn knows I kind of needed to interrupt them and go sit <laughs> because <laughs> they really don't have a right, right? I understand freedom of speech, but like they really don't have a right to influence now the way people think. So how I interpreted that was they're giving their answers really uneducated, and I don't mean by a degree, but uneducated by experience to a room full of young woman professionals that are now taking that advice because of their following. Mm-hmm. And I also should have interrupted, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's what really bothers me. I think knowing, knowing when to speak, knowing when to influence and knowing when to just shut up and listen. I think those are right. two different things and knowing when to take criticism. I mean, if I had raised my hand, and the reason I didn't is I think because they would have been objective and not receptive to what I had to say. And then it's kind of pointless in some way, right. But but knowing who to surround you with, that surround yourself with, that is open to, oh, I see that perspective, right? Who can you influence in the room? Um, you know, that was my biggest problem the other day.
0: I'm not still over
1: it. So clearly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah I mean and I think like you have to remember that there's so much information out there and there's so much bad information out there and as someone who's recovered from an eating disorder and has just dealt with so much shit like I I can sense these things immediately and you have to know when to just take yourself out of the room and this is not working for me And, and I've been, I've gotten really, really good at that of like, when something is not serving me, I'm out, I'm done. And I don't owe you an excuse for why I left.
1: Yeah. Not everyone's your mentor. Not everyone's your client. You know, I say this a lot and it's, I've actually, ironically, I think it's just a parallel, but I've learned it with entrepreneurship is, you know, um, when it comes to like death, for example, and people have been ingrained or they have a habit of saying, I understand. Mm. You don't understand unless you have lost that same person in your life and then you can understand, right? Like my parents are both alive. Thankfully, knock on wood. Uh, I wouldn't go to, say to a friend that recently lost a parent. Oh, I really understand. You don't, you don't get right. it. And so yeah. you can not understand. And it makes it worse by saying that. And therefore, when you're going through experiences or you're seeking support, you need to go to the people that have been through what you've been through because they've navigated it. And they've done it and they came out on the other side. That's the biggest thing.
0: Right. Absolutely. All right. I want to start to wrap us up. Yeah. Um, But Erin would love for you to share ways for people to follow you, keep in touch, get more information, maybe join a program. Yeah. So
1: the easiest way to find me is on two platforms. I'd say on Instagram, it's your brand networker. Um, Same thing on LinkedIn or my name. Thanks to my Danish ancestors, my name is forever complicated. So it's S-E-N at the end of my last name, not S-O-N and Anderson. So we can't find me on LinkedIn. That's why. Um, But those are the two best ways to find me. Um, I offer applications to apply to work with me. I offer career transition services navigating toxic work culture, um, and LinkedIn strategy. And I do that both from the individual perspective, as well as small business, as well as corporation now from a consulting perspective. So if you fit one of those categories, I'd love to chat or otherwise just reach out on social and let us know what you thought of this bluntly honest podcast episode.
0: (laughs) Yes. All of my work is very honest (laughs) and real and not filtered. (laughs) Um, All right. Anything else, any last words, anything maybe that we didn't touch on that needs to be said? uh, Yes.
1: So I would say, um, you know, if you, if you've even thought about it, right, the best way I like to think about it is if it's a weekend and you're sitting there thinking, am I in the right, so thinking of like when you have downtime, not just when like you're really aggravated because your boss gave you like a bad assignment or like you were late to work today and got chewed out. Like think about when you're doing things that you enjoy, maybe you're getting your nails done, maybe you're at a spa, like things that are relaxing, laying by the pool and you can't get off your mind what's happening at work. That's a really good sign that you're in a toxic work culture um, because it, it's haunting, right? Like you're, yeah. oh, you're, yeah. you're doing something of value abundance, as we say, you're, you're treating yourself, you're doing something that you should love, but it's interfering with what's triggering. And if that's happening, that's where you really need to look at the situation and say, I need to get out. And I will tell you from a mental health perspective and a lot of medical bills from therapy that (laughs) I'd love to give my old bosses those.
0: Um, Oh my God.
1: (laughs) They'd go broke. They'd have to claim bankruptcy. Um, really thinking about how you know, not, not so much how am I going to do this, but who am I, whether it's me or somebody else, it's, it's who you jive with. It's who's, again, going back to who has been through your exact experience, who am I going to choose to support me in doing this? Because I can tell you it's going to be very difficult to do on your own because there's always going to be objections and the people that are in your life are not always going to be your biggest supporters. I know we've talked about this before, but friends and family are not the biggest supporters of my no. business.
0: No, no, not at all.
1: <laughs> Some of my family is, my mom and my dad, for sure. But, you know, we had this conversation too, like people even asking about the business. I saw a reel yesterday, I'll just talk about this real quick because I thought it was so funny. And it said, um, it was like, when you're, uh, I think it was Bridget Boucher who said it out of Atlanta. She's a, a CEO, a CFO for small businesses. And she said something along the lines of like, um, when people ask, how's the small business going? How's your little business going? Uh, Like, and she's like, no, it's my big business. Thank you that I've built over a couple of years. Um, and so give yourself credit, right? I've talked about the career side, but if you're an entrepreneur, like it's, people forget a small business is a hundred employees or less. That is a big business, whether it's you or those a hundred employees and giving yourself credit to remember who you are. Um, and last thing I would say, because I like doing this is embrace, being, being yourself, but also being confrontational. I think it has such a negative connotation and I love it. Like people will call and tell me a situation that made them cringe and dread it for days. And I was like, Oh my God, I'd love to be in that situation. Here's what I would have said. And I want you guys to really think about to embrace being that way, whether it's in an interview, whether it's with a client with objections, whether it's at a networking event, I want you to be confrontational. That challenge people. Challenge people yeah. to think differently, right? Challenge people in a room where you're not supposed to be speaking, where there's not questions being asked, and mm-hmm. say, I have an issue with this, right? So that's that's something I'd like to challenge everyone to do. And I don't care if you're yeah. an introvert, an extrovert, whatever it is, be confrontational.
0: Such <laughs> great <laughs> advice. <laughs> It's such a great place to end on and it throws people off. It really does. It's amazing. It's fun. Watch <laughs> and see. And when you do it, everybody around you is like, ooh, who is that girl? I want to be friends with her. Yeah. Yeah. People are,
1: people, I will say people start turning to you a lot and saying like, oh, can you do this for me? Can you do that? Or, what you know, but that's fine. I mean, the more that you help people practice, the more that, the more that they'll also start to do it, right? We have to practice yeah. to start to make things routine. And so I don't mind when people come to me and they're like, how would you handle this? Or, you know, um, I remember I had a friend in college ask me, she called me for advice. And one of the things that she said was, can you just call him and say this for me? <laughs> of course I didn't. But she just, you know, you need to empower people to be confrontational. I should make that on a shirt and wear it yeah, you
0: said. around the airport. <laughs> you said. And we should do another episode. We should like role play. <laughs> anyway. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We would love to hear from you. Share your ahas, your insights, appreciations. You can send either one of us in DM on Instagram or LinkedIn. And we'll see you in the next episode. If you love what you heard, go ahead and give this podcast a follow. I would love to hear from you. So head on over to Instagram and send me a message at Jocelyn with all of your ahas, insights, and inspirations. Thanks for listening.